Well, we have reached the end of our Assassin's series. We've been talking about four hidden killers that live inside our heart. Based on a, a verse that Solomon, who was the wisest man that ever lived, uh, would write, he would say, above everything else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Now, the, we talk about four different killers, four different assassins, and the first two are ones that we, I'm sure we'd all admit that we all struggle in some way with guilt and with anger. You know, I, I feel guilty about the bad things I've done to others, and I feel anger about the bad things others have done to me. And uh, both guilt and anger, they will destroy us from the inside. They will destroy our relationships with people we care for, and they will drive a wedge between us and God. We also talked about confession and forgiveness as the antidotes to guilt and anger. Last week, we talked about another enemy. We talked about one that's not so easy to see in us. This is the enemy of greed. We talked about selfishness or stinginess or hoarding. Call it whatever you like. It's, it's when we gather for ourselves and we hold back from God or we hold back from others. And we don't see that one so easily because it gets camouflaged in our life. You know, we, we can easily surround it with, with good-sounding concepts of we're trying, to, we're trying to be good stewards, we're trying to be careful, and, we're, and that's all important, but we've got to be mindful about our heart. We looked at how God blesses us, which is wonderful, but we were never created to be the bucket of God's blessing. We were created to be a conduit of his blessing. And so uh, greed gathers, greed gathers resources, greed gathers finance, greed keeps our, holds our time, and that's not how God wants us to live. And the rather the antidote for greed, who can tell me the antidote for greed? Generosity. It's when we can transfer things from our kingdom into the kingdom of God. When we can transfer stuff from our world into, and Jesus would tell us that to, we can give it to others. And that's one way that we can transfer from the kingdom of earth to the kingdom of heaven. And being generous toward God stores up treasures in heaven. Greed has very little to do with how much we have. Rather, it has to do with what we do with what we do have. So um, greed and generosity, they're not about money. Not about money. Greed and generosity have to do with the heart. In fact, Jesus would tell us that wherever our treasure is, there the desires of your heart is. Wherever your treasure is. If you want to change the direction of your heart, if you want to change the, 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 the situation of your heart, change the situation of where you invest your treasure. So this morning I'm going to tackle, and to those other messages that will be our goal for this week is to get all our Assassin series onto our website. And so you can, if you, if you, in fact, if you do subscribe to our podcast, you'll be notified straight away via your smartphone that those, uh, those messages are up there. Um, I'm going to tackle this morning another enemy of the heart, another one that's really hard to see in ourselves, but it's really almost always there. And this particular one, which we've identified as jealousy already, this particular one is at work in every relationship that we have. This, this particular assassin is fueled by guilt, it's fueled by anger, and it's fueled by greed. And this one is so destructive. In fact, uh, Solomon would tell us this about jealousy. Solomon would say that a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body, and jealousy is like cancer in the bones. That's pretty strong words. Goes on to say that anger is cruel. Yep. Wrath is like a flood. Okay. But jealousy is what? Even more dangerous. 
No wonder Solomon was telling us to guard our hearts and particularly to guard our hearts from jealousy. From the beginning of history, jealousy has always played a part in human relationships. Cain was jealous of Abel, and so he ended up killing Abel. Esau became jealous of Jacob, and he, he pursued him to kill him. Joseph's brothers, if you're going through the Old Testament, Joseph's brothers were jealous of their younger brother and their younger brother's relationship with, with their dad. We see it. We see that uh, Rachel became jealous of Leah, or Sarah became jealous of Hagar. So if you're visiting our church, if you're new to church, I'm just talking about some Old Testament characters, haven't got time to talk about their stories, but it shows us that jealousy is part of human relationship and it's caused a mess. Woody was jealous of Buzz. Snow White became jealous of, well, the Queen became jealous of Snow White. Scar was jealous of Mephasa and Simba. The Furious Five were jealous of Poe. If anyone watches Kung Fu Panda, that's the reference. Loki was jealous of Thor. And the list goes, I'm sure you can add your own list of shows, the reality TV shows, The Bachelor, Bachelorette, all these shows which I don't watch. Just thought I'd clarify that. I've watched the other ones. They, they, they love the tension that jealousy creates. So when we think about jealousy, we, we tend to think about the things that other people have that we don't have. Another word that we probably don't use so much for jealousy is the word covet. Now, if you've grown up in the church and if you grew up you know, in Sunday school and you learned some of the, uh, the Ten Commandments, you'd discover uh, the 10th one would say this. You must not covet or be jealous or envy. Or Those words all sort of mean the same. They're not exactly the same. But you must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Now, I'm not too sure about your neighbor's donkey or their ox. I'm not too sure. I mean, if you're on a farm, you've just got to be careful. Um, now, you may not covet those things. You may not be jealous of the, your neighbor's wife or their stuff. But how about things like their success? When I say neighbor, how about... Your friend, the person in your world, the person sitting next to you in church perhaps, or across the aisle. We can be jealous of their success, their wealth, their health, jealous that they got to go on those holidays, they've got their privileges. We had a situation way back when we first started having family, first having, having children, that we had someone in our other, well, our other, other church a while ago that was jealous that, that we got pregnant and they didn't. And they talked to us about it later and they said they were, their, their heart was affected by that. You can get jealous of their promotion, of that job you should have got. You could get jealous of their perfect smile or their perfect teeth. You could get jealous of their church or their ministry. You could get jealous of their slim body, jealous of their friends, jealous of their talents or jealous of their, their investment portfolio. There's a whole range of things that we can become jealous of. And if we're honest, most of us at some level may struggle with some of those things. And the problem with jealousy, it leads to external actions 
where others' lives are damaged. We see that with Cain and Abel. You look at the Old Testament characters, it can lead to, to rage and anger and resentment and killing and hurting and stealing and all that type of stuff. It can lead to external damage or it can lead to internal damage where you are affected. Either way, jealousy becomes destructive. And so in his book, Andy Stanley, he wrote a book, Enemies of the Heart. He identifies a debt-to-debtor relationship. And we've been using this as a, as a framework looking at guilt says that I owe you. I've done something to hurt you. I've broken a promise. I've done and I owe you and that's guilt. Greed says, I, um, anger says you owe me. You've done something to hurt me. So now I need to extract it from you. You owe me. Greed says, I owe me. I deserve this. After all, you know, I've done this. I owe me. The next idea of jealousy, it may surprise you. And I want to unpack it a little bit and hopefully resolve it, hopefully resolve it by the end. Jealousy says this, God owes me. Now, before you scratch your head and sort of start thinking, well, what, where are we going with this? I believe that the core foundation of jealousy is this thing called fairness. It's not fair. Now, if you're a parent with any kids, or you don't need to be a parent, you can see this as you look at children particularly. Kids would so often say, it's not fair. Hands up if you've ever said it's not fair. Every one of you have said it in your life, I know, because you've been kids. And some of you are older, but you're still acting like kids. It's not fair. It's not fair that they got more ice cream than me. It's not fair they got the extra waffle. It's not fair they have extra pocket. I'm not using my kids. Just say so I'm excluded. Just saying so that these aren't just my kids. They're your kids, and they were you when you were their, their age. Okay? It's not fair they have extra pocket money. It's not fair they get to stay up later. In these examples, we discover one child is jealous of another child. It seems that they have an issue with their brother or their sister, and so they yell, they complain. Or they may, they may sneak extra time. They may, they, they, they may go to bed and stay up with their head buried under the doona. And we've found kids like that with a torch. They, they, they sneak it, they gather. See, jealousy says, you know, it's not fair. And so I'm going to take things into my own hand. And so with the siblings, you're taking it out on one another. The problem with this is the issue they have isn't with one another. The issues my kids have isn't with each other. The issue is really with me. Because, you know what, I could have given them the same size scoop of ice cream, but didn't. I, I could have given them both the same amount of pocket money, but I didn't. I could have allowed them both to stay up late, but I didn't. You see, the issue of fairness should not be directed to the other person. The issue of fairness should have been directed to me. And this is my point this morning. If you are a Christian, your jealousy is really an issue between you and God. It's with your Creator. You're thinking, well, bottom line, He owes you. He ripped you off. I'll just make it very clear. It's not true. It's a lie. But this is how we feel. See, because what God could have done, what God did for them, he could have done for you. 
What God, what God gave them, he could have given to you. What God blessed them with, their body, their family, their genetics, their health, their teeth. Yeah, he could have done that for you. He could have. But for some reason, he didn't. Your, your problem isn't with the person who's got this stuff. Your problem is really with the one who gave the stuff. It's simply not fair. And here's a truth that may surprise you. God never claimed to be fair. God never promises, promises our, to give us all the same gifts and all the same opportunities. In fact, Jesus tells a parable in Matthew about a rich man who's going away and he gives his servants, he distributed his wealth to his servants. To one servant he gave ten bags of silver, another servant he gave five, and another well, he gave one. Well, hang on, that's not fair. No, it's not. That's not equal. No, it's not. God never promises to give us equal. God gets to choose. How do I handle that? I've got to accept that and trust God. I need to accept that and trust God. And so when I think about Mark's heart, there's times I can sense that jealousy is trying to lure me into its web. You know, I'm not really jealous when, when someone I don't know gets something. I'm not really jealous when, you know, when, when, when someone who is I don't, not even connected to me, when I read in the newspaper that someone found, not that I read a newspaper, when I read on the internet, when I discover that someone was blessed with something or did something, or it doesn't bother me. It bothers me more, if I'm being really honest, it bothers me more when someone I know gets blessed. When someone I, someone I know, or in, in my world, a pastor that I know, when, when their church seems to be growing faster or doing more, that, that's the thing that gets me. A, a pastor, I don't, I don't really get jealous of Pastor Brian Houston you know, and, and the success that he has. But how about the church down the road? How about my friends? How about my old church? How about things that are relationally connected to me? That's when I can sense jealousy start to gnaw at my heart. It's usually when someone in my relational world gets something I'd like or gets to do something I'd want to do or someone else gets the attention that I wanted or the acknowledgement and the praise that, that I think I deserved or when someone, gets, you know, someone else gets the larger slices of pizza, you know, come on, I think I deserve that. And they didn't. When that happens, I must launch into that song, What about me? It isn't fair. What about you? What about you? I think Malcolm Fraser said life wasn't meant to be easy. Was that, I think that was his phrase. I'm going to say life wasn't meant to be fair. We try to teach this to our kids and there's a, uh, particularly when it comes to the things of God, we've got to learn to understand that God is God and God makes choices. And instead of taking the issue up, which is what jealousy does with the other person involved, we've got to try to understand the, the, the actual source of our frustration is actually coming vertically. And so instead of taking the issue up with God, we take it up with the other person and we take it out with the other person. Sometimes we resent them. Or worse still, worse still, we could secretly celebrate when things don't go well for that person. 
when, 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 when something happens and maybe, you don't, maybe you've never done that, but sometimes it can happen. Sometimes someone who you're jealous of or you're wanting to be like or something, something goes on inside our, it's, it's wicked and corrupt, it's ugly, that we, we sort of feel good when it didn't happen as well as it was happening. You know, sometimes we take it up with other people and it's not their fault. It's not their fault they have perfect teeth. It's not their fault that they've got a metabolism that happens to, to stop them from carrying all this stuff. It's not, it's not their fault. They didn't choose the family they were born into. They, they didn't choose the, you know, if, if, we, if we want to talk about fairness, 760 million people in this world live on less than $2.60 a day. Fairness would say, well, God, let's make it fair. And if you were to distribute the, the average wealth of the world across the seven point whatever million, billion people, the average wealth, I mean, think of your salary, okay, whatever your salary figure is, drop that down to $4,000 a year. That's fair. Do we really want fairness? We want fairness for us, but do we really want God to be equitable and totally fair? Let me think about it, we really don't. Just think about that thought for a little bit. So it's, it's, not their, it's not their fault that, that, that people were born in, in Africa or Ethiopia or India or Bangladesh or Middle East. Fairness. See, and the people often we can get jealous of, they can't do anything about it. They can't, they can't make their, their teeth go crooked. They can't, they can't you know, become more uglier. They can't, they can't become dumber. They can't become poorer. And if they did, that's not going to help you because the issue you have is in your heart. So we've been looking at the wisdom of Solomon in this series. I want to look at something when I try to bring close to this message and closure to this series that, that really is important. It's something that James, who was Jesus' half-brother, you'd think he'd have some stuff to say. I reckon he would. And so uh, he asks a really probing question. Listen to this. James says, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Well, James, you know, uh, this happened. This happened in my family. This, this happened in my school, at school, in my first marriage, this happened in this friendship group I had, this happened at church, someone said this, and you know, there's plenty of good and juicy and valid reasons for quarreling and fighting. We've all got good reasons. Chances are people have hurt you, have abused you, have disappointed you, have dis- all these, I know all that stuff happens. But James is, is asking a question that goes far deeper than the circumstances and the context we're giving. He says, don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? The evil desire, the word desire is, is an appetite. It's, a, it's something that ultimately can never be filled by someone else. James is saying that our external conflicts are the direct results of an internal conflict that we have and that internal conflict spills out on someone else. James believes that if you and I find ourselves in an argument, it'll be because the battle within me has spilled out and touched you. And the battle that's within you, the the, the wrestle that you have for the desires of your heart, the (coughs) passions or the 
appetites of your heart, that that's spilling out and affecting me. And the people that get affected most by this battle is not someone you've never met. The, perfect that gets, the person that gets affected most by the internal struggle and battle that's going on inside are the people you love the most. The people you work with, the, the people in your family, the people that you care, they're the ones bumping into you. They're the one you're spilling your stuff into. You're the one they're spilling their stuff into. And if I can't deal with my internal conflicts, my, if I can't deal with my internal desires, then other people have to deal with my stuff. And I tell you what, that's not fair. That's not their job. They've got enough stuff to deal with as we do. And the fact is that the common denominator in all my relationship conflicts is me. And the, and, and the common denominator in all your relationship conflicts is guess who? Not me. Might be. No. It's not. It's you. And so James goes on to, and he, he tells it as it is. He doesn't hold back his punches. He says, you want what you don't have. And here's the source of every relational conflict we experience. We want what we cannot get. We can't have our way. So when you hear your children arguing, or I'll use kids, the issue isn't about Lego. The issue isn't regarding who sits at what chair at the dining table. The real issue is that two people want their own way. Two people want what they want, and one of them is not getting it. And James would argue that the same is true on every young person and adult that's here today. James would go on to say, well, what do we do? Well, so you scheme and you kill to get it. Now, you, you may not, I'd hope you wouldn't kill. Maybe, please come and talk to me if you have. Better still talk to the police. But... But you allow your desires that can't be met by the other person, you allow that to turn into resentment and rage and you, and you scheme and you, and you destroy. Jesus would say that if you hate someone in your mind, in your heart, you've killed them. But we, we allow our thoughts to bring resentment and to bring you know, uh, uh, distrust and we, all this stuff goes on our mind and we, we, we want to get our stuff. We, we want what we don't have. We're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. And so what do we do? We fight and wage war to take it away from them. James shows us the effect of jealousy. It puts us on a destructive path. Let me just let you know in a few minutes I'm going to tell you the answer, the solution, because there's a wonderful solution to all of this. We'll get there. I'll just say that now in case you've got to go in the next five minutes. Our, the, the desires James is talking about are these unquenchable desires inside of us, our de desires for recognition, our, our desires for success, our desires for progression and security and health and identity, our desires for, 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 for all this stuff. You know what? People cannot satisfy those desires. It's not their fault. They, 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 they were never meant to satisfy the desires of recognition and success and security and health. People were never meant to satisfy that in your life. So then what do we do? Where do we go? Well, James tells us. He says, you don't have what you want. 
because you don't ask God for it. There is another end part of that verse, which, which I'm not going to touch on in this message. It's, it's, it's when we go to God with wrong motives. But here James is giving us a key. He is suggesting if you're, if you're jealous over something, if you're wrestling with something, that he's telling us here that you're asking the wrong person. You're looking in the wrong direction for what you need. Peter would tell us a similar thing. Well, James is saying, you haven't asked God for it. Peter would say, similar thing, give all your worries, all your cares to God because he cares for you. Paul would tell us, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Both James and Peter and Paul are telling us the same thing here. They are saying you, are, you and I are invited to bring every frustration and bring every fear to God. You are, there, there is nothing too big that you can't bring to God. There is nothing too small that you can't talk to him about. Every concern, great and small, matters to Father God because you matter to the Father. Whether it pertains to your, your love life, your career, your marriage, your parents, your children, your finances, your education, your, your appearance, whatever it is that you're struggling with and worried about and concerned about and troubled about and jealous about, you can take it and you should take it and you can take it to God. We are invited to bring our stuff to God. All our frustrations, all our discontent, all our desires, I encourage you, tell God how you feel. Tell him, God, my, my jealousy issue is really with you. I, th I, th I think you owe me. I don't think you're fair. Don't direct your jealousy at someone else because it's not their fault. You can take all, uh, all your whining to the one who's responsible for the way you look, the gifts you have, the things you have, or the things you don't have. Take it up with God. Do you think he can handle your complaints? Of course he can. Read the book of Psalms. There's a great example of taking the issues of life, the troubles and burdens and worries and cares and battles and struggles and, and assassins and greed and anger and jealousy and lust and all this type of things and, and saying, God, huh, here's my stuff and I'm looking at you. In some ways I'm blaming you. Maybe that level of honesty will start to break the hold of jealousy in your heart. Because if we really get honest with God, if we get heart to heart with God, if you can find yourself in this place when you can tell God everything and all your cares and all your worries and all your concerns, if you can dump it all on the, on the lawn of your, of your prayer life with God and say, look at this mess, I think you'll discover that, that dealing, dealing with jealousy is not about fairness. You'll discover that dealing with jealousy is about grace. Now, if you really think that he has mistreated you. If you really think that God owes you something, I want to suggest that you look again at the cross. God's mercy toward us gave us something we didn't deserve. Forgiveness. 
there was a price. This forgiveness wasn't cheap. The price of forgiveness was the sacrifice and the death of his son. And the truth is, if we, if we can acknowledge, if we get really heart to heart with God and, and look at the face of Jesus, we discover that, that we owed God a debt that we couldn't pay. So God paid us. At the heart of this thing of jealousy is a lie that says God owes me. And in the shadow of the cross, which is the cross is there at the moment, but it will be back there. But in the shadow of the cross, it's very clear God doesn't owe me anything. God doesn't owe me anything. In fact, if I'm really honest and get to the, the heart of it, I owe him. I owe him everything. I even owe him an apology that I can get so caught up in myself, my self-centeredness and my desires and my wants and my needs and me, 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 that, that, I, get, that I forget the cross, that I forget the price that was paid for me. Hebrews tells us this, which I'm glad. So, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. I don't know about you, but I need his grace and I need his mercy. Anyone else? I need that, not just every day, I need that every, probably every five minutes. That's probably enough for me. I could probably go five minutes and I can do okay. I especially need his help to deal with all these assassins that are living and, and, and not living, that, that are hiding, waiting in my heart. The bottom line is I can't deal with it myself. I can't guard myself from guilt by myself, let alone confession. Man, that's, I can't do that well by myself. Talking to God, I can talk to God. I can confess my sins to God, but he sort of knows already. It's when I have to confess to others, as James would encourage us, that's, I need his help. I can't guard myself from anger by myself. I can't do it by myself, let alone forgiveness. Man alive, I need his help to figure out how to walk in forgiveness. I can't guard myself from greed by myself, let alone being generous to others. I need his help. What about jealousy? In the verse we read previously from Philippians, Paul tells us something and he shows us the antidote for jealousy. Paul said, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Here I want to show you that, that Paul is telling us, God is telling us through Paul that the antidote to jealousy is being thankful. Thankful for what I have. Thankful for what God's given me. If that's the antidote to, to, to jealousy, I can't even do that by myself. I need his help. Another practical thing, if you're struggling, this is jealous, I'm talking about a broad jealous assassin in our heart, but if you're dealing with jealousy toward people, a practical thing you can do is learn how to celebrate. Genuine celebration. It's a good exercise for you. When someone that you see 
get something or receive something that you can sense that, oh, I wish that was me. Tell you what, God, I need some help. And learn how to genuinely celebrate. Write them a card. Give them a bunch of flowers. Say, well done. That is awesome. Because the more you practice that, the less jealousy has a hold on your heart. Thankfulness and celebration. So let's uh, wrap this series up. Let's go back to the beginning. Above all else, guard your heart. It is the wellspring. It is the source of life. My encouragement over this series is to hopefully to encourage you, hopefully to, to peel back a little bit of your heart, to peel back a little bit of that hidden space that your emotions live and, your, and that little bit of space that you relationally exist with your family, with your friends, with your God. Hopefully over these last probably six or seven messages we've looked at the heart and, and, and we've talked about how you can guard it. How do I, how do I guard it? Well, we, how, how we can practice confession, how we can practice forgiving, how we can practice being generous, how we can practice being thankful and celebrating, and they're good exercises to keep our heart healthy. Paul gives us one final key and a final scripture I want to bring for this series. So, after we've come into his presence, after we've acknowledged and dealt with the stuff on the inside, after we've asked for his help, after we've asked for his grace, after we've asked for his mercy, after we've asked for his forgiveness, after we've thanked God for all we've done, then something supernatural happens. And Paul tells us this. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And here's the point. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Friends, God's peace will guard your heart. It'll help you guard your heart. We've still got those exercises and practices of forgiveness and confession and all that type of stuff, but God's peace will help you guard your heart. And when we learn to walk, and I'll get our music team up, thanks, Joe and Sam and Neil and everyone else. When we learn to walk in God's peace, when we learn to live in God's peace, when we learn to love someone from a place of God's peace, when, when, when we start to walk in what the Bible would call light, then the assassins have no place to hide. Peace is a gift. His peace is a gift. You don't need to earn his peace. You don't need to come to church all the time to get his peace. You don't need to, 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 to put money in the offering bag to get his peace. You don't need to strive for it. You don't even need to pay it off like afterpay. God's peace is a gift. And that's what I need. And that's what you need. For you to, to guard your heart from the, from the attack of the enemy that's out to destroy and kill your relationships and your character and your identity and your love for God and your love for others, I want to encourage you, God's peace is the place to start. It's to walk and exist and live from that place. And I'll tell you something, that's available to you right now. 
That's available to you when, when all of a sudden you can feel an assassin tug at your heart or anger or jealousy or greed or, or guilt. When that starts to happen, you can, you can simply just rest in his peace. That passes anything. It surpasses anything. Exceeds anything you can understand. And it will do what? It will guard your heart and guard your mind. How's your heart? We've talked about our heart for a long time. How's your heart going? When was the last time you did a checkup? When was the last time you went and you had a spiritual checkup for your heart? What's going on inside? Is there any guilt and shame? Is there any anger? Is there any greed? Is there any jealousy? You can take it to God. You can come into his very presence and bring your stuff, all your fears, all your frustrations, all your stuff, you can give it to him. You can, I encourage you, let him know what you think. Allow him to change your perspective from what you think to what he thinks. And then you'll discover this peace that can come. Let's just close our eyes, please. Father God, I just thank you for the time I've had just to share a little bit about these assassins that live in our hearts. Lord, I pray for us as individuals. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to guard our hearts. And you just don't tell us to guard it and you don't give us any tools. You've given us your word and you've given us your spirit and you've given us your peace. And so, Lord, right now I pray as we bring closure to this message, particularly as we've talked about jealousy, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to guard our heart from jealousy. And just while our eyes are closed, I just, I just want to briefly ask a question. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you've, you've sensed jealousy tugging at, the, at your heart and you want to get rid of it. I want to pray for you. I want to include you in a prayer. Maybe jealousy, maybe anger, guilt, shame, greed. Anyone this morning want to do a transaction, not with me, but with God? Just give me a little wave. I will just include you in a prayer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate those who put your hand up. That's really honest of you. All of us know we're struggling with something. Sometimes we don't think we need to respond. So, Lord, I want to pray for all of us. If I want to get us all to stand, please. Let's all stand before God. Father God, we come before you as your children. And, Lord, I thank you that because of Jesus, that we can come into your very presence right now, right here. We can come to your throne of mercy and find grace and help for our time of need. And let all of us have times of need. Some of us right here, right now, some of us when we walk out the door or get to school tomorrow or to university or get to work tomorrow, Lord, we'll, we'll face an attack. We'll face a heart attack. And Lord, I pray that you'll help each one of us to stand in the peace that you purchased upon the cross. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to, in the midst of the emotional turmoil that happens at, at home or at work or at school or on the street, Lord, I pray that we would 
stand in your peace. That we would abide in your peace. That we would be a people of peace. And that from within us, from within our hearts, where you are, that peace would reign. And Lord, for those that are struggling with jealousy, Lord, I pray that they will have the ability to have a heart-to-heart with you. Acknowledge that their jealousy doesn't come from others, but it comes to you. And acknowledge that you are their God. You are at love them. You are at work in them. And you have something good for them. Help us not to compare ourselves to others. Help us to value who we are and who you've made us to be unique and special and blessed. Help us to walk in that peace, live in that peace and love from that peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.